Good day, everyone. I don't know what that is. So, um, kids, don't forget, you need a kid's bulletin today. Uh, fill that out. That is today. And um, while you're doing that, for some of you who might have forgotten, there is a thing coming up in the bulletin. I'm just going to do this announcement real quick. It's the annual congregational meeting and harvest dinner. We're going to have our meeting here right after service. But then we're going to go down to Spencerville to the community club and have our dinner there because there's more room for all the people we have. Uh, we don't have enough room in this room to set up all the tables and chairs, which is awesome. Okay, that is a great thing. But in order to get enough food, we need you to sign up. Okay, so there's a sign-up table in the back. Go sign up for what food you're going to bring and RSVP so we know how much. For those who want to make turkeys and hams, it says that they'll be provided today. They're not here. So still sign up and we'll make sure they're delivered or given to you, okay? Just so you know. All right, before we get in the sermon today, let's pray. God, we thank you. We thank you for a day where the church can just gather in your presence. And Lord, I ask right now that you would really speak to us through your, your spirit, through the truth of your scriptures. Help us to hear, to take a hold of that knowledge, and to live it from this day forward. In Jesus we pray, amen. Now the Bible is full of lots of miracles, and there are a lot of miracles that are talked about with Jesus. Um, we can read through so many different recorded uh, scriptures that talk about his miracles. In John 20, verses 30 and 31, it says, The disciples saw Jesus do many miraculous signs in addition to the ones recorded in this book. So what's that tell us? There were more. But these here are written so that you may continue to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing in him, you'll have life by the power of his name. Later in, in chapter 21, verse 25, there are also many other things which Jesus did, which if they were written in detail, I expect that even the world itself could not contain the books that could be written. That means there are a lot of miracles that we don't know about. Jesus performed miracles that we just don't know. He, he made statements. He did things that we just don't know about, which means there's always going to be this little bit of a mystery about Jesus. Something more that we can learn and want to grow closer to. Now, while he was here on earth, and according to the scriptures, we have a record of 40 different miracles detailed in the four gospels. The one we're going to look at today is recorded in three of the gospels. In Matthew 9, Jesus crossed over the sea back to Capernaum, and there he worked another great healing miracle. It's also recorded in Mark chapter 2 and in Luke 5. And these other two, Mark and Luke, give greater detail. So starting in Luke 5, 17. One day Jesus was teaching and the Pharisees and the teachers of the law were sitting there. They had come from every village of Galilee and from Judea and Jerusalem. And the power of the Lord was with Jesus to heal the sick. So along with all the people, what we see here is very key. Luke wanted to say it really easy here. Jesus is teaching, and the Pharisees and the religious leaders, and where were these guys from? All over. They were coming, and they were sitting there. Remember that. These pompous, educated, arrogant people are sitting there listening to Jesus, okay? Now go to chapter 2 of Mark. 
When Jesus returned to Capernaum several days later, the news spread quickly that he was back home. Soon the house where he was staying was so packed with visitors that there was no more room, even outside the door. Who's in the room? All the Pharisees and religious leaders listening to Jesus. In fact, it is so packed, people are standing outside the door. Which to me says that these religious leaders who knew better were taking seats of people who didn't know better. They were there listening, sitting, and there was standing room only. While he was preaching the good God's word to them, four men arrived carrying a paralyzed man on a mat. They couldn't bring him to Jesus because of the crowd, so they dug a hole through the roof above his head. Then they lowered the man on his mat right down in front of Jesus. Seeing their faith, Jesus said to the paralyzed man, My child, your sins are forgiven. Now, if you're a Christian today, how did you get here? How did you become a Christian? Every believer has a unique story, your own story of how God worked in your life to help you receive his son as savior. I was raised and trained in the church, but it wasn't until fifth grade that I finally just said, I'm done pretending I am fully committed and I gave my life to Christ. Casey was saved shortly after we were um, married. My grandpa told me he baptized his mother, and I think he said when she was in her 80s. And so there's all these different stories. Every believer has a unique story, but all of our stories have this one thing in common. Somebody helped us get to Jesus. Could have been your mom or dad, coworker, friend at school. It could have been the neighbors across the street. But right now, I want you to think about it. Who was it that helped bring you to Jesus? Maybe it was a complete stranger, but somebody helped bring you to Jesus, and when you accepted that, your life changed forever. Now, if you look at this story that we're going to look at, a lot of people focus on the paralyzed man and the religious leaders. They are there, seem like the forefront people in this story. But I want to look at the forgotten heroes, the four friends. They are true friends. And, and these four friends are truly what we as the church need to be. God wants us to help others. God wants us to bring other people to Jesus. So how can we do it? Well, we can learn from these four men. The paralyzed man in the scripture today desperately needed friends. Think how hopeless and helpless he was in that day. If you've ever been laid up and somebody had to really just take care of you completely, for a little bit, I'm sure it was fun. Like, all oh, right, finally, someone's taking care of me. But eventually, when you couldn't do anything on your own, you start feeling worthless, helpless, a leech. Imagine this guy's feeling that way. Think how in his time period, without modern technology that we take for granted, how his life would have been. All we know is he's a paralyzed man. We don't even know his name. We're not told his age, his marriage status. Could he have been paralyzed from birth or maybe fell out of a tree as an infant? Maybe it was out, um, later on, he's married, he's got grandchildren, and then he becomes paralyzed. We just don't know. All we know is that he cannot move. He's stuck. 
Nothing else is important as that. Nothing else was relevant. And with that, think of the despair. Nothing lay ahead of him but more suffering and finally death. He could possibly remember a time when he played as a boy or worked and at one point, could he have thought, I've had enough of this, send the doctor and give me this wonder drug that I can finally be free of this, but there's no one that can cure him. And then Jesus came to town. And everything could change if. If he could get to Jesus. He's heard about it. Everybody talks about this guy, Jesus, who comes and people are healed. And he needs to get there, but how? He needed some true friends. And church, there are people all around you who need a true friend. They may be struggling physically, financially. They may struggle in their families. They're lonely or brokenhearted. They need a true friend. How can we bring people to Jesus first, church? We must find ways to be a friend, a real friend. One of the words for friend among some um, North American Indians, if you translate it, it's called one who carries my sorrows on his back. That's what a friend means. One who carries my sorrows on their back. Hurting people all around us need friends like that. But most of all, they need Jesus, and they need friends to take them to Jesus. I know some people feel on top of the world right now, but they have a hole in their lives. They need a friend who will bring them to the person who can fill that hole, which is Jesus. God wants us to find ways to be friends. And so God, so ask God, who is this person that is in your path, your life path that you need to bring to him? Pray for them, listen to them, tell them what Jesus means to them, invite them to church. Use your common interest to plant the truth in their lives. If you love to play golf, you're weird, but invite your friends to do that as well. If you love to go fishing, there's something right in your head, okay? But invite them to go with you. Use something to bridge that gap so you can bring Jesus to them or them to Jesus. There was a young man named Jay. He'd been witnessing to one of his friends for a long time. And Jay couldn't tell if he was making any progress. It just seemed like nothing was changing. These two friends were also duck hunters, and as they drove out one day to go hunting, Jay's friends started telling him about some of these thoughts, about all this witnessing. And he said, I, I think I need a sign, though. I, I need to know that God is true and not just this nice stuff you're saying. And then Jay's friend said this, you know, I've never shot a banded duck before. If I shoot a banded duck today, that might be a sign from God. Now, when I read that illustration, I'm like, banded duck, what's that? what does that mean? And so I had to look that up. But shooting a banded duck is a very big deal for duck hunters. Um, conservation officers and stuff, they'll find a baby duck and they put this band on it and they track it. And it's got all this information. And so when you shoot a banded duck, you actually call the number and the information on this band and they send you a certificate and it's got all the information. And so you got this big history about this duck. For duck hunters, it's really cool. Okay, so... Um, 
This young man shot three ducks that day, and the third duck had a band. This is a sign from God. And when they cut the band off, not only did it have the information and the bird's number and the phone number, but it had a statement on it. And that statement said, Jesus loves you. Talk about a sign. That's the sign. I'd call that a miraculous meeting with a duck. That young man did put his trust in our crucified and risen Savior. God used that friend, Jay, and duck hunting to bring this man to salvation. Go back to our scripture and picture that scene. Jesus had come back to Capernaum. Word is spread like wildfire, and, and he's in this house. When Jesus returns to Capernaum several days later, news spread quickly that he's back home. Remember last week or two weeks ago, I said Capernaum is his home base now. Soon the house where he was staying was so packed with visitors, there was no more room even outside the door. While he's preaching God's word to them, four men arrived carrying paralyzed man on the mat. They couldn't bring him to Jesus because of the crowd. So they dug a hole in the roof above his head. Then they lowered the man on his mat right down in front of Jesus. These friends had to do a lot of things to get their paralyzed friend to Jesus. They had to go pick up their friend. They just couldn't take a taxi or an Uber. They had to walk there. They had to carry him from his house all the way there. And when they got to the house, they couldn't get him in. And so they had to carry him up to the top of the house, dig a hole, rip apart that roof, and then lower him down. You know what? This calls for something different. Okay, so I'm, I'm going to... Nope, you're too big. Sorry. Molly, come on up here. Okay. I need, I need, yep, you come up here. Who else? I, sure. I need one more. See, I got two. I need one more boy. One more boy. Beckham, do you want to help me? No. Okay. Yes. Come on up here. And then I need one more. One more. Bethany, come up here. I was going to call on you too. She's like, no. All right, so you're going to have the fun job. Yay. Okay, so stand down there for a moment. I need you four to do something. Okay, so stand up here. All right. Stand on, or right by each corner. Okay, Finn, lay down on this. Okay, now you guys pick up the corners. Okay. There we go. How is that, Finn? Annoying. Annoying. Why? Because you can't move. You can't move. Well, you're paralyzed. Okay. What do you think about this? Is this fun? Nope. No? So do you guys think you could carry him down that aisle? Oh, no. Yeah, no. Why not? Because you're in heels? Yeah. <laughs> okay, you could. So what would happen if we asked Molly to drop her corner? What, what would you feel? Annoyed. Why? Mad. What, you'd feel mad? Why? Because it would hurt. It would hurt? If she just dropped her corner. Drop your corner. What happened? Drop your corner. So now drag him. 
It doesn't feel good. Okay, so you guys can let go. You can sit up. Don't fall. Okay, guys. Good job. You guys can go sit down. Thank you. So in order for those guys to carry the kid, which I wanted to carry him down the steps, but I was kind of afraid that they'd drop him a little bit and you'd see his head go. So it's like, oh, we'll not do that. So they had to work together. And you could see some of them were struggling, trying to hold it because the feet were lighter and the head was heavier. And these friends had to work together like that to carry this mat. They had to fit, start together and finish together, but everyone had to carry their corner. Can you imagine you're carrying this mat up the stairs to the roof and one guy says, you know what? I'm done. I've had enough. And he lets go. That's going to end that trip. Everyone had to do their part. Think about when they were lowering him down. Somebody's lowering him down and says, I've got a rope burn. I'm sorry, I can't do this anymore. And they let go. And instead of gently going in front of Jesus, he lands on top of him. They didn't give up. They stuck together. And that's what we as the church need to do. We must all do our part. How can we help bring people to Jesus? We must carry our portion, the part that God has given us to carry that load. The Apostle Paul compares God's church to our physical bodies in 1 Corinthians 12. If the foot says, I'm not a part of the body because I'm not a hand, that doesn't make it any less part of the body. And if the ear says, I'm not part of the body because I'm not an eye, would it make it any less part of the body? The whole body were an eye, how would it hear? Or if the whole body was an ear, how would it smell anything? Our bodies have many parts, and God has put each part just where he wants it. How strange a body would be if it only had one part. The eye can never say to the hand, I don't need you. The head can, can't say to the feet, I don't need you. In fact, some parts of the body that seem weakest or the least important are actually most necessary. Do you know what the pinky toe does? Does two things. It causes great pain when you stub it. And it gives you balance. That tiny little pinky toe gives you more balance than the rest of your foot. You move, it moves. The tiny little thing. We each are called by God, according to this, to do our portion. And some may say, well, I'm not as good as that guy up front. And I'm going to say, yeah, you are. We all have different parts, and we all have to work together. This guy, uh, the paralyzed man, his body didn't work together. It didn't work right, and that's why he needed the church. And there are a lot of people in our lives whose their spiritual body is not working, and we need to step in and bring them to the one who can heal it, the one who can give them real life. We are that body of Christ, and there is something for each one of us to do which means we got to work together. No one of us can accomplish all that God wants us to do on our own. The church is called to be a group of people, not a lone hero. We must do our part. Not only did they help each other, have each other to carry their portion, but they also did this, and we as Christians, to bring people to Jesus, we must break through barriers. Think about the barriers these four men had to go through. Their friend couldn't walk, so they had to carry him. 
The crowd blocked the way, but they found a way to break through that barrier. The roof of the house was between them and Jesus, and they went through the roof. Now, usually when somebody says they went through the roof, that's not a good thing. I I made my mom go through the roof a few times. But what did they do here? Can you imagine you've got Jesus over to your house? He's there teaching and preaching, and you're just sitting there like, that's right, this is my house. And then your roof caves in. You just had that painted. It was good plaster. And now there's a gaping hole where you don't want a skylight to be. And down comes this paralyzed man. These men did not let anything keep them from getting their friend to Jesus. Where is that kind of passion in the church today? Don't we need to have that same passion that nothing's going to stop me from getting you to Jesus? I'm not going to let a barrier stop me. I don't care if I have to tear the house down. You are going to get in front of Jesus or I'm going to die trying. Isn't that what we need in the church? What are you passionate about today? What really matters? What charges you up? Most people would say they're their families, maybe even their country, or hobby, or sport. How many of you know who Joe Jacoby is? I didn't either. It's okay. Joe Jacoby from 81 to 93 was an offensive tackle for the Washington Redskins. He helped get them to the Super Bowl championship in 83, 88, and 92. He was passionate about football. Now, kids, hear the passion and hear how he's wrong in it. This is what he said, I'd run over my own mother to win the Super Bowl. Is that good? No. For a ring, a Super Bowl ring. When Matt Millen heard what Joe said, he goes, to win the Super Bowl, I'd run over your mother too. What are we willing to run over to get to Jesus, to get our friends to Jesus? I hope it's not over our moms. But are we willing to run over things that are in our life to get someone else to Jesus? Are we willing to run through our, our jobs and say, you know what, my job's temporary. Your, eternal, uh, your life is eternal and I want to make sure it's secure in Jesus. Am I willing to give up things of this earth that are temporary for their eternity? Am I willing to run over those things, get rid of them so that I can get someone to Jesus? People are passionate about a lot of things and Christians, church, our greatest passion should be Jesus and bringing more people to him. Without great passion, we'll never ever be able to break through the barriers. Could you imagine they're on top of the roof and they're like, we did everything we could. We just couldn't do it. They broke through barriers. Verse 12. After Jesus, he was lowered down, and Jesus says this. um, The man jumped up, grabbed his mat, walked out through the stunned onlookers. They were amazed and praised God, exclaiming, we've never seen anything like this before. The reports in Matthew, Mark, and Luke all note that the people there saw this, and they gave glory. They gave praise to God. Multitudes of people kept doing this. 
They need to understand, all people that we bring to Jesus need to understand that Jesus is much more than a man. He is God. He is the Lord Almighty. And this miracle at this point shows it, and our lives need to show it as well. So how can we bring people to Jesus? We must keep praising God. Giving glory to God. It's very important. Not just for us when we do this, but it's important for other people all around us. There's a few reasons, there's a lot of reasons that you can praise God, but I, I'm only going to say a few. Uh, we can praise God because he forgives our failures. How many of you are bound by your limitation of your failures? None of us should raise our hand if we have Jesus. I have a lot of strikes against me in my past, in my, my sinful nature, in, in some of my upbringing and things that I had. But those don't define me. Jesus does. My failures don't define me. His victory does. The most crucial thing Jesus can ever do is forgive us of our failures, which is our sins. Jesus Christ forgives those. In Mark 2, 5, look what it says. Seeing their faith, Jesus said to the paralyzed man, my child, your sins are forgiven. Right here is a pivotal truth. Who showed faith in this story? The four guys, the, all four of them. What about the paralyzed man? He did nothing. He, he just laid there. These four guys did it. And these friends brought this down and Jesus offers forgiveness of his sins. Do you think that he's sitting there on the mat going, oh, thank you. Uh, let's put it in today. You're at the hospital wanting to hear of your spouse's chest pains. Is this a heart attack or is it something minor? And suddenly the doctor walks out and says, good news, your spouse is forgiven. I want to know about their heart. I want to know about their condition. The doctor comes out and says, God loves you. And somehow it's not quite what you'd want to hear at this point. If I'm sick, if I'm physically sick, what do I care about forgiveness? I just want to be well again. I want to be, have strength. If I've lost my job, why do I care if God loves me? I want my job back. But how wrong can we be? The truth is that forgiveness offered by Jesus Christ is the single most important thing in this life. For with it, we have everything. Without that forgiveness, we are empty. The physical healing Jesus gave the man lasted for a few decades at most. But the forgiveness Jesus gives, the forgiveness lasts forever. One day we will go to heaven to live with Jesus forever. There will be no more pain, paralysis, sickness, death, or grief. That is the truth of the gospel. And if we want to be true friends, we need to praise God now for that victory that we're going to have. The scribes asked a question in Mark 2, uh, verse 6 and 7. After he said, hey, he saw the faith, he goes, your sins are forgiven. The teachers of the religious law who were sitting there thought to themselves, what is he saying? This is blasphemy. Only God can forgive sins. You're right. Only God can forgive sins. And Jesus is saying, I am God in this. 
That's what Jesus can do for each of us. There are things in some of your lives that you need God to come in and give a healing. And I'm not talking physical healing. I'm talking about spiritual hurts. And he can, if he can forgive your sins, wipe away the debt of your sins, imagine what else he can do in your life. Jesus demonstrates his wonderful power here. He can forgive sins, but verses 5 through 8 remind us that he also see into our souls. Verse 8, Jesus knew immediately what they were thinking, so he asked them, why do you ask this question in your hearts? Where are they asking this? How many of you were ever weirded out that your mom knew exactly what you were thinking? It's like, that's not fair. How do you know this? How many of you are a little unnerved when your spouse, your wife, goes, don't even think it? What? Imagine God, though, in their hearts. They were saying this, and Jesus, after looking at the faith of these four, he heals the forgiveness sins of this paralyzed man, and then he turns to these guys who are just sitting there. While the crowd is trying to get as close to Jesus, here they're sitting. How dare he? Blasphemous. Only God can forgive sins. Well, you know another reason why we can praise God. He is almighty God. Jesus knows everything about you inside and out. He knows your past, your present, your future. There is nothing in us about us that the Lord doesn't know. He knows us infinitely better than we know ourselves and we can't hide it and we can praise God because he can see into our souls and he still calls us. He knows exactly who you are. He knows your future. He knows your present. He knows your failure of your past. And he still calls you his own. King David talked about this fact that God can see into him. Psalm 139. Oh Lord, you have examined my heart and you know everything about me. You know when I sit down or stand up. You know my thoughts even when I'm far away. You see me when I travel, when I rest at home. You know everything I do. You know what I'm going to say even before I say it, Lord. You go before me and follow me. You place your hand of blessing on my head. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too great for me to understand. God knows you. He's not some far off guy who's just sitting there with a lightning bolt waiting to smite thee. He knows you. He knows us completely, good and bad. That can be a scary thing, but the good news is, in spite of seeing our our hearts, in spite of being able to peer into our souls, God still chooses to love us anyway. And for that, we should praise God. Jesus had the power over sickness and death, and according to his perfect will, he can heal anyone. The Lord cares about all people, even sick people. And in this story, the greatest purpose was to prove his power over sin. So verse 9 again, Jesus says to the rabbis and these religious people, is it easier to say to the paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven, or stand up and pick your mat and walk? Which is easier to say? Well, it's easier to say your sins are forgiven because there's no outward proof of it. Jesus says, so I'll prove to you that the Son of Man, right there he's saying, I am God. That's what he just said. Has authority on earth to forgive sins. 
Then he turned to the paralyzed man. So he's talking to the religious people, the ones who should know better. And then he turns to the paralyzed man. And remember, the four friends are still up on the top. Stand up, pick up your mat, and go home. The man did not stand up. He jumped up. Think of that. He has no power over his body, and then all of a sudden there is power. The muscles couldn't work. He jumps up. He grabs his mat. Now, when he grabs his mat, do you think he just gingerly picked it up, tucked it under his arm? If he was told to stand up and he jumped, I think he grabbed it. was like, ha, I don't need this. He picked it up. He grabbed it and walked through the stunned onlookers. Have you ever seen a kid who has just uh, hit a home run? How do they walk? Okay, they got that strut. Imagine this guy. He was just healed. He jumps up. Is he going to tip the, oh, excuse me. Sorry, let me through. No, they parted for him as they saw this amazing thing. And he struts out because of the power of God that just worked in his life. In fact, the people were all amazed and praised God, exclaiming, we've never seen anything like this. Which means we can praise God because he can heal our hurts. He can heal our hurts. I'm not talking physical bodies. I'm talking about our real hurts. This is a story of two great miracles, but the greatest miracle wasn't the healing. The greatest miracle was when Jesus said, your sins are forgiven. You may never get a physical healing like this paralyzed man did. But if you receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you have received the greatest miracle, which is Jesus saying, your sins are forgiven. And because of that, we should praise God, no matter what kind of weather's coming, no matter what the diagnosis could be, no matter what our job status is, no matter what, we can praise him because he can heal our greatest hurts. We need to be like a guy named Elmer Albright. Elmer worked with a man named Ernie. Ernie, Ernie and Elmer... Uh, worked together and they were in this factory and Elmer decided to invite Ernie to church. In one year, he invited him 52 times. What's that tell you? Every single week, he invited him. 52 times, Ernie turned him down. So what did Elmer do the next year? Started inviting him again. Well, Ernie did come to church. He came to church once, and then he didn't come back for a few weeks. But Elmer didn't stop. He kept asking, and one day he came back again, and then Ernie never stopped going to church. Over that whole year of when he started going to church, or before he went to, Elmer never gave up. He kept inviting his friends, and every night he, after he would ask his friend, he would pray about it, and his wife would hear it. When Elmer's wife finally met Ernie, he goes, so she said this to him, so you're, Elmer, um, so you're Ernie, the last name. My husband would often come home in the evenings, and, I, and though I had his dinner ready, he would go straight to the bedroom. I would go down the hall and listen, and I would hear him praying for this Ernie. And then I would pray 
that you would either come to church or move away. <laughs> she wanted something because her husband was so focused on this. And that event tells me there's something very important there. Who do you hang out with? Think about all you kids who are in school. Think about your friends, the people you hang out with. Are they good influence? Are they friends like these four guys here? Are they ones that are going to help bring you to Jesus? Or are they the ones who are going to distract you? My mom always told me it, it matters who you hang out with. And I wanted to prove her wrong. So I start hanging out with other people. And guess what? Mama was right. Because the more I hung out with them, the more they were carrying me to the wrong things. When I started hanging out with more Christians, then we'd bring in somebody who needed that faith, we would carry them. We can try the false statement of, it doesn't matter who I hang out with, they don't influence me. But look what these four guys did. This paralyzed man could not get away from these four friends. Just imagine that. Can you imagine? He's like, I'm sick of you telling me about this God. What are you going to do? Roll away? <laughs> You're stuck. And so they kept doing it. But they didn't stop there. They moved in his life, moved him to Jesus. And church, we need to be these friends. Because notice where salvation came. It came when the friends brought the person to Jesus. Now, I'm not saying you guys can give salvation to others. That's not what I'm saying. But I am saying that your faith is a reflection, and through that, God can bring that salvation into the heart of that person you bring. Are you primarily sounding with people who pull you away from Jesus? I'm not saying don't be friends or acquaintances with unbelievers. We need to so we can build relationships to bring them to Jesus. But your primary friend group, who are they? Those need to be the ones who are helping carry you to Jesus whenever you need it. I need carried to Jesus many times in my life. I can tell you one time that I had a whole eldership group. They were my true friends at that time. And they carried me to Jesus. They made sure I was with him. There was another time Jim Platner was actually a friend of mine. Wanting to make sure that I was listening to God's calling in a certain area of my life. Which he constantly reminds me that it was his fault. That I got this blessing. Who are you primarily hanging out with? We cannot buy the lie that, well, I'm going to be their light. Notice how many guys it took this took to bring the paralyzed man, the unsaved man, to Jesus. Which means, church, we are called to do this together. None of us are to go out there rogue and do it all on our own. We are called to go out there in a team. Notice when Jesus sent the disciples out, he sent them out in pairs. He sent them out in groups. Which means, guess what? If you can't help bring salvation to somebody by bringing them to Jesus, ask for help. There's a whole church here who wants to see people come to Jesus. I I've got something really sad to say. We have a baptistry here that hasn't been used for a while. That is partially my fault. 
and yours. I haven't been doing enough to bring new people to Christ. And it's bone dry in there. That's my fault. It's not just mine. We all need to carry this. But how many people are we letting walk away from the faith? Because we're comfortable. We're like the religious leaders in that church sitting there saying, yep, that's right. I'm here to hear Jesus. While people are out on the street dying. Dying in their sins. All of our stories, all of our faith stories have one thing in common. Somebody else helped bring us to Christ. Some faithful Christian helped us get to Jesus and our lives were changed forever. Now God wants you and I to be that friend, to be that church for other people around, for us to carry our load, for us to break through the barriers and to praise God. Because you imagine when, when we are struggling in this world and we still give praise to God, the rest of the world says, I want a piece of that. Are you willing to do that, church? Are we willing to be the church? We're going to stand, we're going to pray, and then we're going to get back into worship of who our God truly is. Father, we thank you so much. I thank you that through our hardships, through our failures, through our past, you still love us. And you still offer forgiveness. You still offer grace and mercy. And God, right now, I ask you to reignite that faith and that knowledge in us that we too can live in that truth. Live on the foundation of who your son is and who you've called us to be, which is your church. Lord, open our eyes to all those around us that need brought to you. These people that you have put in our life so that we could be the one to help carry them to you. Forgive me, God. Forgive us all when we failed to do that. When we looked at the labor and the, the uncomfortable part of it and failed to do it. Help us, God, right now to be the church. And as we sing your name, as we proclaim and praise you, let it be not just through words and voice, but it be through our hearts and our souls. And in Jesus we all pray. Amen.